0: Today's podcast features an article from Discern Magazine. Is Easter pagan? That's a controversial, maybe inflammatory question and provokes some interesting responses. Some people just bristle at the mere suggestion, and that's understandable, if they believe that it disgraces one of their most sacred holy days. Search that question on the internet, and you'll find articles by people jumping to defend Easter against any accusation that its origins could be so tainted. But the same search results reveal many other people writing, of course it is, in articles exposing how uh, religious heathen practices, uh, think rabbits and eggs, became so entwined with today's Easter celebrations. The historical roots of these customs are so commonly known, in fact, that some poke fun at Easter with memes like, the pagans are mad, they want their holidays back. Well, these diverse answers quickly lead to another question, maybe a greater question. Does it matter? And once again, if you ask that question, you find people hopelessly divided. Probably the majority of people sit in the so-what camp. They admit... Ancient pagan customs gradually mixed into modern Easter celebrations. But they say, who cares? It doesn't matter where it came from or what it meant to people thousands of years ago. All that counts is what it means to you and me today. And besides, it's a lot of fun for the kids. Well, that doesn't settle it, though. Uh, There are conservative religious people who do care. They are troubled by Easter's pagan connections. And they... Therefore, try to detach from those aspects and focus solely on a religious meaning. And then you have people who just say, hey, let's just all tolerate everybody's beliefs. And that's the godly way to bridge divisions. Well, at the end of the day, you're just lost in a fog of human opinions if you ask people to answer, is Easter pagan and does it matter? Maybe we need to ask some other questions. Like, what does God think? If Easter is about honoring him and Christ, shouldn't his opinion be the only one that counts? Does he care? Does he leave us in a fog? Actually, this Easter controversy can pretty easily be cleared up by following three steps. Number one, look at the scripture and find out exactly what does God say. Number two, examine the facts and discover the historical record, and see whether what happened in history aligns with what God says. And then the third one is the tough one, and that's adapt your practices accordingly. So, starting with the first one, what does the Bible say? What does God say about religious holidays and customs? Well, we find that it was God that designated the holy days that the Israelites were to observe. And these days had deep significance to him. In Leviticus 23, 2, it says, the feast of the Lord, which you shall proclaim to be holy convocations, these are my feast. So we find the first thing that God says is, these are mine. I invented them. These are my feast. You keep my feast. And then in other places, he expressly forbade them from adopting the religious teachings and traditions of other nations. In Deuteronomy 12, he said, take heed to yourself, be careful, that you are not ensnared to follow them after they are destroyed from before you, and that you do not inquire after their gods, saying, well, how did these nations serve their gods? I will do likewise. You shall not worship the Lord your God that way. For every abomination to the Lord which he hates, they have done to their gods. Well, Israel repeatedly ignored him, and they ran after other gods. Centuries later, God told them, your new moons and your appointed feast my soul hates. That's in Isaiah one fourteen. Some argue, well, yeah, but that doesn't apply to New Testament Christianity. Well, how do we deal then with Christ's own words in Mark 7, verses 6 through 9? He said, Well did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. And in vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. For laying aside the commandment of God, you hold the traditions of men. And he added, All too well you reject the commandment of God, that you may keep your traditions. So it's easy for humans to bring their own traditions and their own ways, especially things they borrow from other people and work them into what God said to do. Paul also talked about this in his letter to the church at Colossa. He said, beware, lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit, according to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world and not according to Christ. That's in Colossians 2.8. There's nothing ambiguous about these scriptures. The Bible is very clear. Okay, let's look at all the scriptures that indicate that it's now permissible for us to change the holy days that God established. Or the scriptures showing it's acceptable to bring pagan practices into his church if it helps us to bring those people to Christ. Or the ones where God says, it's okay, you can decide how you want to worship me or any that say or even hint that it doesn't matter. Here's the list. Number one, uh, all we find from the scriptural evidence is a conspicuous absence of any words to that effect. It's just not there. Okay, now let's consider the second element, the historical facts. And there are six that I want to give you to think about. Fact one. You can't find the word Easter in the Bible. Now, if you have an old King James Bible, you may say, well, there it is in Acts 12.4. That's the only place it's mentioned, and virtually all translations, including the New King James, use the term Passover instead. In fact, it baffles scholars why the King James translators wrote Easter into that verse when They correctly called it Passover in all of the other 28 occurrences that that Greek word, Pasha, is used in the New Testament. Why did they translate it Easter in this one place? And those 29 references range in time over decades, from Christ's death through the late writings of the Apostle Paul. It was always called Passover, which is further proof that the New Testament church observed the Passover, not Easter. So, where does the word Easter even come from? Most scholarly opinion is that it derives from the name of a pagan goddess, Esther, O-E-O-S-T-R-E. Fact two, commemorating Good Friday as Jesus' crucifixion and celebrating Easter Sunday as his resurrection contradicts the only sign he gave that he would be the Messiah. Now, Jesus told the religious leaders of the day that he would provide only one proof of his messiahship. So this would be rather important. And the sign he gave was very specific. He said in Matthew 12, 39 through 40, as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the son of man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Now, what is three days and three nights? In John 11, 6 through 9, in a related situation, Jesus talked about a full 12-hour day. And so that implies that 12-hour nights as well. They're not partial days. You can't say that it's a partial day, it's a partial night. A day consists of daylight and nighttime, 24 hours. So how could Jesus die on Friday afternoon and be resurrected before sunrise on Sunday? You know, John says, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and found it empty while it was still dark. Jesus did not arise at sunrise on Sunday morning. When she went, it was still dark, and the tomb was empty. Well, do the math. It's not possible to fit three days and three nights between Friday afternoon and Sunday morning. You can't even fit parts of three days and three nights in that space that means today's easter holy week practices contradict the messiah's own words now when you understand though the holy days that were observed at that time the ones that god ordained all the way back in the early old testament if you understand those it's easy to understand the three days and three nights timing john 19:31 says the jews were concerned that the bodies should not remain on the cross on the Sabbath, for that Sabbath was a high day. A high day was not the weekly Sabbath. It was an annual holy day. And the high day referred to was the first holy day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread, which that year fell on a Thursday. So Jesus died late Wednesday afternoon, not Friday, lay in the tomb for three full days and nights and was resurrected just before sunset Saturday afternoon, not Sunday morning. And there you have three days and three nights. Fact three, the apostles and early New Testament church never observed Easter. Several New Testament verses prove the early church observed only God's ordained holy days. The Corinthians, for example, clearly kept the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread, 1 Corinthians 5, 7 through 8. Now, keep in mind, these were mostly Gentile Greek converts, and yet they did not raise objections to that, well, those are Jewish feasts the way some do today. They understood them to be the Feast of the Lord. And while Christ's resurrection is certainly of incredible importance and should never be minimized. They knew that Jesus' instructions were to commemorate his death, not his resurrection. That's why they observed the Passover. Fact four, the Council of Nicaea, nearly 300 years after Christ, officially changed the church's observance from Passover to Easter. You know, if the church members who lived during the time of Paul, Peter, James, John, Jude, had come back to life just a century or so later, they would not have recognized their church. Many of the heresies that the apostles had warned them of had gained strong footholds, and those who were faithful members and leaders were slowly losing the battle for the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints, as Jude wrote of, In Jude 1 3. Under Roman Emperor Constantine's direction, the Catholic Church convened the Council of Nicaea in AD 325. Now, monumental doctrinal changes had already come. Only four years earlier, Constantine had decreed that Sunday, what he called the Venerable Day of the Sun, would now be the official Roman Day of Rest. And now they came to Nicaea to determine to settle the Passover Easter controversy. And at this council, without any scriptural authority, the majority decided that Easter must be observed instead of Passover. And they set the date. It always had to be on the first Sunday after the first full moon occurring on or after the vernal equinox. Why did they set that? So they could ensure that Easter would never fall on the Passover. Fact five. Many changes were driven by anti-Semitism not by Scripture. Well before the Council of Nicaea, Christians holding to the New Testament practices had begun to suffer persecution for being what people called Judaizers. Constantine revealed his hatred in his description of the Easter Passover decision at Nicaea. Constantine wrote, It appeared an unworthy thing that in the celebration of this most holy feast We should follow the practice of the Jews, who have impiously defiled their hands with enormous sin and are therefore deservedly afflicted with blindness of soul. Let us then have nothing in common with the detestable Jewish crowd, for we have received from our Savior a different way. Other leaders of the Roman Church were just as vitriolic. They hated the Jews, and they were driven to change doctrine because... They didn't want anything associated with what the Jews did. Now, today, many Christian church leaders condemn anti-Semitism, and rightfully so. But they don't acknowledge that one of the main reasons for establishing Sunday and Easter observance was to separate the church from anything considered Jewish. But were these the Jews' Passover and festivals, or were they gods? They were separating themselves from what God said to do. A side note is that, sadly, the Nicaea decision increased the persecution and the isolation of those who held faithfully to keeping the Passover and not Easter. Fact number six, the philosophy of syncretism opened the door for many pagan practices to enter into modern Christianity. Now what is syncretism? Um, Let me illustrate. Some years ago I visited one of Lima Peru's most popular tourist sites, the Basilica and Convent of San Francisco. Now, those of us on the group touring the building, we expected to see the architecture and the art that you typically find in Catholic churches. Uh, we were unprepared for the catacombs that were underneath and walking through the, these dark, musty corridors among all of these neatly stacked bones. Skulls here, femurs there, geometric designs made out of bones and other places, the skeletal remains of an estimated 75,000 people. Well, that was a bit eerie. We finally exited and relieved just to be in the daylight, the bright light of day. And as we got out, the guide told us to direct our attention to a large emblem. That stood on a tall metal spike above the massive doors of this convent. We were now being told to look at the sun, not the sun in the sky, but that emblem above the doors. Why is this significant, he asked. Well, he went on to explain. He said the church knew that the natives would be more easily converted if they could bring elements of their religious practices with them. And the sun was a great example. Since the natives worshiped sun gods, they would be happy to see their sun gods sitting on top of the church. Well, that is a prime example of syncretism. Merriam-Webster's dictionary says that's the combination of different forms of belief or practice. Well, that explains a whole lot about what we see in Christianity today, including the bunnies and the colorful eggs and even the name Easter, things that have now become entwined and linked to an observance that is supposed to commemorate the death and resurrection of our Savior. Yeah, Easter does have a lot of paganism in it. Does God care? Well, the scriptures cited earlier answer that. Well, obviously, Easter raises many other and even more important questions than is it pagan? The light of scripture requires us also to ask, is it biblical? Why does Easter even exist as a Christian Holy Day? Where did it come from? Does God give it any legitimacy? Can we justify to God bringing pagan practices into His church and into worshiping Him? On what authority did anyone change the doctrines and practices of the church Jesus built? Well, earlier I wrote that the Easter controversy can be easily resolved with three steps. What do the Scriptures say? Well, they're clear. What are the facts of history? That's clear. There's only one thing that remains, and it's unclear. And that is, will we adapt our religious practices to conform to the scriptures and the facts? And these questions do matter. Jesus said so in John 4:23, when he said, "But the hour is coming, and now is, when the true worshippers." We'll worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such to worship Him. I'm Clyde Kylo. Thanks for listening. For more information from today's featured article, visit lifeopentruth.com.